welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. As we close out 2021 and look towards 2022, we are pleased to present this mini-series of podcasts that will review key developments over the past year across a number of important geographic regions, industries, and specialisms. And we'll look ahead to consider what the next 12 months might bring. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition in our Arbitral Insights podcast series. My name is Susie Savage, and I am counsel in the International Arbitration Team based in Reed Smith's London office. I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by my colleague, Patrick Beale, an international arbitration partner also based in the London office. Patrick focuses on international dispute resolution, spanning international arbitration, investment treaty arbitration, and commercial litigation, both in England and overseas jurisdictions. Hello, Patrick. Hi, Susie. I'm very pleased to join you today. Today, we're going to talk about some of the important developments that we saw in the ISDS space in 2021, and then we will focus on what we can expect to see over the next 12 months. 2021 was a busy year for ISDS, with several reform efforts from arbitral institutions. International arbitration has, at the same time, though, faced some pushback, particularly from the European Union. So, Thinking back to 2018, there was the landmark ACMEA decision, which determined that intra-EU investment treaty arbitration was incompatible with EU law. Three years later, in September of this year, we saw the EU Court of Justice in Comstroy and Moldova looking at the compatibility of EU law with intra-EU investment arbitration pursuant to the Energy Charter Treaty. That's right, Patrick. So as you note, the 2018 ACMEA decision was that intra-EU BITs are incompatible with EU law. We then, as you rightly say, saw the Court of Justice consider the ECT angle in Comstroy. And this has resulted in a decision that intra-EU investment arbitration pursuant to the ECT is also incompatible with EU law. A seminal decision. And Patrick, what are the key takeaways then from Comstroy? Well, I think there are three key takeaways from the Comstroy decision. First, it will almost certainly boost EU member states' attempts in ECT-based intra-EU arbitrations to have those claims dismissed. And in this context, it's worth noting that of 57 ECT cases currently listed as pending, 37 of these concern intra-EU cases. Second, awards already rendered in intra-EU ECT arbitrations seated in a member state are unlikely to be enforced by courts of the EU member states. And finally, I think the decision fits into the wider picture of EU efforts to reshape investment law generally, including the ECT, about which more later. And I think the decision is likely to give new impetus to the introduction of a multilateral investment court as promoted by the EU Commission. You'll find more analysis on this seminal decision and practical recommendations on what steps to take in light of it on the Reed Smith website by searching Comstroy. 
Well, of course, it's impossible to discuss 2021 without mentioning the coronavirus pandemic. Governments all over the world imposed urgent and wide-reaching emergency measures to protect public health and took steps to address the economic impact of the pandemic. As we are all aware, these steps have included state takeover of private health providers, the effective renationalisation of rail franchises to cover train companies' losses, tax holidays, and the payment of state aid to the airline industry. Some of these measures have impacted the ISDS sphere as they could potentially disrupt foreign investors and their investments in host states. And as a result, states' obligations in international investment agreements may be breached by governmental responses to the pandemic. States will no doubt respond to such claims, relying on international law exceptions and defences to justify the extraordinary measures taken. Indeed, and 2021, unsurprisingly, saw the first ISDS claim filed in relation to a government's response to the pandemic. The claim is brought by two French airport operators against Chile. The two companies, through their local Chilean subsidiary, hold the concession to operate Santiago's International Airport. In the context of the ongoing COVID pandemic, the airport's passenger traffic drastically decreased by a reported 70%. The claim was filed with ICSID in August 2021 and concerns Chile's refusal to provide financial aid and to extend the concession to restore its economic viability after the investors' profits fell by 90%. Chile argues that the investors are disputing measures that it took to contain the pandemic. Inevitably, the investors disagree, arguing that they're not challenging the measures adopted by Chile, but rather Chile's attitude towards the concession and the state's failure to protect their investment. It's reported that the claimants are seeking compensation of $37 million, along with a contract renegotiation to prevent the expropriation of their investment. Whatever the outcome of this case, it highlights the question of how losses caused by the pandemic should be allocated. And staying with Latin America, the state of Ecuador decided to rejoin the exit convention this year. Twelve years ago, in 2009, Ecuador notified the World Bank that it was denouncing the Exit Convention. The former president, Rafael Correa, claimed that the convention had resulted in Ecuador facing numerous million-dollar arbitration claims and was an instrument of colonialism biased in favour of investors. Following that decision, Ecuador announced that it intended to terminate all of its bilateral investment treaties. On 21 June 2021, Ecuador re-signed the Exit Convention and in July the convention was ratified and subsequently entered into force on the 3rd of September 2021. That said, pending a decision of Ecuador's Constitutional Court, Ecuador will not be able to sign new international investment agreements. The rationale behind the current president, Guillermo Lasso's decision to seek to rejoin the convention, is the need to attract and promote foreign investment into Ecuador. What is yet to be seen is whether other states in the region, such as Brazil, which has never ratified the convention, and Bolivia and Venezuela, which both also denounced the convention, whether they will follow Ecuador's lead and join or return to ICSID. So, now what's ahead of us, Patrick? What can we look forward to in the ISDS space in 2022? Well, Susie, looking to the future, there are a number of changes to the ISDS space on the horizon in the next year that I think are worth mentioning. As many will be aware, there have been four rounds of rule changes following the adoption of the ICSID Convention in 1967. 
the last of which entered into force in April 2006. ICSID launched the current process of amendments in October 2016 and has been consulting with member states and other stakeholders since. And the three key goals of the amendments are, first, to modernise the rules based on case experience. Given ICSID's administration of many hundreds of cases, the idea is that lessons learned should be incorporated into the rules. Second, to make the process more time and cost-effective while maintaining due process and a balance between investors and states. And thirdly, ICSID hopes that the rule amendments will make the procedure less paper-intensive and with greater use of technology for transmission of documents and case procedures to reduce the environmental impact of ICSID proceedings. As part of this process, on the 12th of November of this year, ICSID released its sixth working paper on proposed amendments to the rules, and notable features of the amendments include provisions on transparency, in particular requiring parties to disclose the fact that they're being funded, and the names of persons and entities that own or control a funder, The names of funders will also have to be provided to arbitrators prior to their appointment. As expected, these proposals have given rise to some fierce debate between the various stakeholders. Next, there's an option to fast-track cases through an expedited procedure featuring shortened timelines. This aims to encourage access to investment arbitration for small and medium-sized companies. There's also a new standalone rule that would expressly allow a tribunal to order security for costs. And finally, an option for regional organisations such as the EU to use the ICSID additional facility rules has been included. And I think this reflects the fact that increasingly states sign international investment agreements as part of a regional economic organisation as opposed to simply in their own right. ICSID proposes to close the consultation process and request a member state vote on the proposals in early 2022. And if these measures are adopted, we expect that the amended rules will come into force in late spring 2022. To add to that, as we all know, since 2017, Yun has been in the process of working on possible reforms to ISDS to address a number of identified concerns. A key topic for Working Group 3 discussions, which took place in November 2021, was the means of implementation and enforcement of the draft code of conduct for adjudicators handling international investment disputes. And this has been jointly prepared by the secretariats of both ICSID and UNCITRAL. As regards sanctions for infringements of the code, in addition to the existing sanctions, such as removal through a challenge or voluntary resignation, there was discussion of additional sanctions such as reduced remuneration and disciplinary measures. This will no doubt cause concern for the arbitrator community which is already facing widespread calls for change. As of the last meeting of Working Group 3 in November 2021, there is, however, no final agreed draft code of conduct. As is the case with ICSID, concerns about third-party funding have also been a particular topic for debate by Working Group 3. Of course, the draft reforms seek to safeguard the benefits to claimants with a lack of financial resources to bring meritorious claims. But, at the same time, They also aim to regulate for-profit commercial funding of claims, which has been an issue of concern for states. Interestingly, a number of states, including Argentina, the Dominican Republic, Honduras, India and South Africa, have supported the idea of fully restricting for-profit commercial funding of ISDS claims. 
Other countries, such as the United Kingdom, favour a lighter touch, focusing instead on increased transparency. And, as many of you will see, and most recently, on 16th December 2021, the Yunsetral Secretariat published an initial draft on an appellate mechanism in investor-state arbitration. The draft on the appellate tribunal is open for comments until the 30th of June 2022. It's understood that Working Group 3 is currently planning to finish its work on the reform of investor-state arbitration by 2025, with the next meeting scheduled for February 2022 in New York. Interesting. Thank you, Susie. What this makes clear is that reform is very much on the agenda. And this reflects, I think, a willingness by the institutions to listen to and address the needs and concerns of the investment community. And staying with this theme, in 2022, we'll hear more about the modernisation of the Energy Charter Treaty, particularly in the context of the transition to renewable and clean energy. It's now generally accepted that in order to achieve the required reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, fossil fuels have to be phased out and replaced with low-carbon energy systems. Currently, the Energy Charter Treaty is viewed as a major obstacle to the clean energy transition. And that's because the treaty allows fossil fuel investors to challenge the actions of states to address climate change. A good example of this are the ECT claims brought last year by the energy companies RWE and Uniper, against the Netherlands in response to the Dutch government's decision to phase out coal power plants by 2030. In 2021 alone, the Energy Charter Conference held seven out of nine negotiation rounds on the modernisation of the treaty. At several of the negotiations, the discussion focused on redefining the term economic activity in the energy sector in order to exclude protection for fossil fuel investments. As of the most recent negotiation on 13 December 2021, the redefinition has yet to be finalised. And stakeholders have reacted differently to the proposals, with some proposing the ECT's investment protection provision should continue to apply to existing fossil fuel investments for a period of 10 years after entry into force of the amendment. Meanwhile, the EU if it doesn't get its way, isn't ruling out a coordinated withdrawal of all member states. So I think in the next 12 months, we'll likely see more ECT claims concerning fossil fuel investments as more and more governments adopt policies to promote clean energy and meet their emissions targets. Thank you, Patrick. It can only be seen as a positive that the environmental agenda is right at the top of reforms. So all of these matters are definitely worth keeping an eye on. To round up, we can expect the following over the next 12 months. More ISDS claims in relation to government responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. A vote by member states on the amendments to the ICSID rules. Further consultations by the Trial Working Group 3. And a likely proliferation of ECT claims around climate change and clean energy. I hope this has been a useful and practical review and thank you very much for listening. We hope you'll tune in to the next edition of our Arbitral Insights podcast series. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Joseas de Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com.
You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Readsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Readsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.